you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 19. And I did get the update that the Ramos boys are home. So they, they made it okay. You can still pray for them. They do need prayer. As you're turning there, again, we're continuing our study in the book of Haggai. And again, I've enjoyed this book because I think it's very pertinent to where we are today. There was two significant things that happened this past week for me. One was um, I got to take Jameson, who didn't know my mom, uh, to her graveside because it was 19 years ago this past week that my mom had died. And so uh, we had the opportunity to talk about Ultimately, here's the end of our life, just one little plot of land, and all the things that we try to put into our life don't matter in the end. Well, that sounded really good, and it sounded very holy right until the time I got my investment statement that same week. And I thought I'd been doing very well. I hadn't gone online. I didn't check to see what the amount of money that I had lost or anything like that, and I felt like I was doing pretty good. Um, right until the time that my wife handed me the statement, and I became very, very angry. And I became angry with the people in the PCA where my investments go through and the audacity that they had to still charge me for me to lose that amount of money. I was angry with the government in this stupid thing called covid And why did I have to be dealing with this? And the reality was, is it became very clear at that moment, at least to me, that God had become irrelevant. Hmm. See, I was looking for the government to fix. I was looking for other people to take care of things. But God, at that moment, at least for me, had become irrelevant if not at a place where he was the problem now I want you to think about that because that's where the people are in Haggai they had looked to the governor they had looked to the temple they had looked to everything except God and the the passage they're going to look this morning becomes both a warning to us and an encouragement It's the third of those four sermons that Haggai gives to the people. And I want you to truly listen to this. Do not underestimate the damage that we can bring to God's work when we live indifferent and independent from him. Don't underestimate the damage that we can bring. But at the same time, we can never overestimate the good that God brings when his hand is working in us and through us to others. So I want you to keep that perspective in mind as we come to this passage this morning. Haggai chapter 2. Now is this the passage? I can't see. Yes. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. 
If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with these people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you with all the products of your total of your toil, with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is a seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the wine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to a passage that seemingly is confusing. We don't quite understand it. We're not sure. I mean, obviously the people have gone back to work. They're doing what you've asked them to do. So why this message? Except that you want us to hear like they heard, that we need to remember that it is God who blesses and him alone. So Father, teach us, definitely draw us closer to our Savior this morning than when we came. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I've put down Romans chapter 7, verse 22 to 25. And it's the place where Paul talks about having the struggle within him. And it's the reality because that's where it is for all of us. And so this morning we're going to look at the warning and the encouragement that God gives to us. And so there is a reason for God's discipline. And the first thing we're going to look at, and we've talked about it before, is that this is a family matter, which means that God is speaking to Christians. Okay, He's speaking to his family. And as such, the message is for Christians. And so he wants us as the church to hear. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, please listen. Please understand that there is going to be judgment that comes from a holy God. And so listen to what he does to his own children, let alone to those who are not his. But the first aspect we need to understand is that this is a family matter. And he does a family matter in regards to discipline. Now, what do we mean by discipline in regards to a family matter? It means that if you are a parent, you don't discipline other children. You discipline your children. And as such, this is what God is doing here. He's talking about the discipline that he brings upon his people. And it's an instruction, not a punishment. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, just listen. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all of you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we might share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, God comes to us and he calls us sons and he then brings about discipline. And he brings about it in different ways because this is speakly, truly a grace of God. What do I mean by that? Because he teaches us both positively, like you are being disciplined at the moment. You are hearing words of instruction. But there's also negative where you would actually find yourself being rebuked or corrected. So there's both happening from God, and this is a grace of God. Now, we're not talking about saving grace. We're talking about discipling grace. And when we talk about discipling a grace, this is where God speaks to his children. And through this passage, it was Haggai speaking to the people. We get spoken to by studying the word, by allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us today. But the reminder from Hebrews 12, it means everything comes from a loving father. And so when he disciplines us, it is for our own good. Now, what happens when he begins to discipline us? And what he does is he goes to a a situation in here where it seems weird. And he says, go and ask these two questions. And so the first question that he asks is about holiness, And he says, go to the priest and ask if you have a piece of food that is holy and clean and you have it in your jacket pocket and it begins to touch other things. Does that make other things holy? And the priests say, no, it's just like the same way. Just if if you stand next to a person who is well, do you get well? No, if I stood next to a skinny person, I don't get skinny. Does everybody understand that? Holiness does not cross over to another person. Now this is important for us in regards to justification. How are we justified before God? Because there are many people who think that it's an an infusion. We just have the ability to receive through Jesus plus good works. We have to earn God's love. We have to act the right way. And when we are in a relationship like that, then what happens is we are chained to the prisons of our mind. Because we're always asking, am I good enough? And so you never have the sense of I am God's and God's alone and there is nothing that can separate me from his love. Because we're always saying, especially for those of us who grew up in a religion where you had to do good works to be saved. How many times did I go and say the prayer to be saved again and again and again? Because I did a lot of bad things. And so I would say, am I really saved? Does God really love me? I mean, I did some really bad things. And so I would have to to pray again. There was never confidence that I was loved by God. 
But we can't get saved by infusion. There has to be an imputation. And that is where God takes through Christ our sin and gives us his righteousness. That's the free gift. That's how you become holy. And because God looks at Jesus, we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. Now, does it mean that good works don't matter? Yes, they do. Listen to what Calvin says. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. Which means we see the outward workings. Good works are necessary, not unto salvation, but because of salvation. We perform good works, not to earn God's love, but because of his love through us. And only then do we begin to love the way that Christ loves So we have this understanding that, again, there's holiness can only be imputed and only through God and Christ. But he then asks a second question, and he says, If someone who is unclean with a dead body starts to touch all these things before, the food, all the things that are around us, stew, wine, and oil, do they become unholy? Do they become defiled? And the answer is, yes, And again, we get that. Defilement can be passed on to other. Just like sickness can be passed on. Not healing, but sickness surely can pass from one person to another. We're living it. And so as we have this opportunity for it to be passed, it's the sense where it begins to grow, and it begins to grow like yeast within us, as well as begins to spread to other people. It grows just like, remember David? David starts with one sin, and then what does he do? He has to do another sin to cover it up, and then gives another sin. Why? Because it continues to fester within us. Not only that, it begins to, to spread to other people around us. It becomes contagious to other people. I always used to say this about um, this to our, our youth group. Attitude determines your actions. Now, what do I mean by that? We used to do these weird things where we would ask people, um, we're going to have an 80s night. And so here's what you need to do. You need to dress up in your best 80s costume and come, and we're going to play 80s games and all that kind of stuff. And I remember this one time. I mean, they, they dressed up like rock people, and the, the, they looked good. And everybody was into it, and they were doing all the weird 80 dances and using the 80 phrases, and they looked like they were from the 80s. And it was just a great fun night, and everybody enjoyed it. So then we try a Napoleon Dynamite night. This is stupid. I'm not dressing up. I'm not going to do the Napoleon Dynamite dance. So only the leaders were dressed up. How fun did that look? And then the games we wanted to play, nobody wanted to play. See, attitude determines action. And when attitude, when the, the, some of the students started saying, this is dumb, then what did you think the other students started to say? This is dumb. Stupid. Not going to do it. But when those same students get into it, then what happens? You could be playing the stupidest game. This was awesome! This was great, smashing a pie into my face, nothing like it. Why? Because attitude spreads. 
so does disease. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians. Abstain from every form of evil. It doesn't say get close to it. It doesn't say try to deal with it. It says abstain completely. Get away from the defilement because it's always easier to pull someone down than to pull them up. And so this is, this is going on and, and Haggai is talking to the people. And then he says, it's not, just, it's not just this, but it's a matter of your heart. Where do I get that from? Look at verse 14 in your passage. It says, then Haggai answered and said, so it is with these people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. And what they offer there is unclean. Now, now why does he say that? Because what they're bringing is they're bringing tainted sacrifices. Listen, they had laid the foundation to the temple again, and they had built the altar. And they thought, hey, we have the altar. We can come and bring our sacrifices, and that's enough. We don't have to finish the rest of the temple. We just simply go and bring what we're supposed to. But this is an internal sickness. There are no external fixes. So this isn't a magic formula. Just because you come to church and just because you came during a COVID Sunday doesn't make you holier than the people who are staying home. See, God says it's about the heart. And what happens is people who are sick need the physician. We as Christians need the great physician. And what he says is he says, I don't care about the sacrifice. I want a contrite heart. I want a heart that is changed. I want a heart that's not just going through the motions. It's a matter of the heart. That's where I was. I was going through the motions this week. And it scared me how quickly Jesus wasn't everything to me. Would I truly be satisfied, like Elijah, going to a widow's house and trusting God to say, I'm going to not let the flour and the oil run out? I want to be secure. I want to be safe. I want to know that my retirement is secure and I can own my home and I can give money to my children. God says, what if I took it all away? Would you still be satisfied? Would you be satisfied with Christ alone? That's right. Do we have a contrite heart? Do we really seek after God with everything? Because if we don't, then what we do is we begin to compromise. We compromise in our time. We compromise in our giving. And so we go from the place where we're saying, okay, we have God's tithes and our offerings to saying, well, I'm going to take my offerings out of my tithe. Or maybe I won't give anything because I don't know what's going to happen with tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to get another stimulus, another stimulus check. I don't know. And God says, I do. And he says, do you trust me? Do you give me everything? Or just some? Look at the passages in regards to the matter of the heart. Psalm 51, 16 through 17. David, after his sin, will you not delight in sacrifice? Or I would give it. Will you not be pleased with the burnt offering? For the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. 
Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, for the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 1 Samuel 17, excuse me, 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in birth offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. That's the grace of God. He hears us as our hearts are changed to where we quit trying to figure it out. Now what he does in this passage, he does something weird. Look at verse 15. He says, now then, consider from this day onward, before a stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Now I want you to understand that again, he's saying, I want you to remember Look back, because the people of God are doing what they're supposed to right now. So why does Haggai have to remind us? Because we are people who are slow of mind and heart. We forget all the time. And so we, like Haggai, like the people of Haggai, we have to remember what God has done to us. Now I want to do this again in talking about like ailments, because we remember, okay, Poor choices. Poor choices have consequences. And you don't think about this, but we all have had someone say to us, you're going to pay for that later when you get older. You remember those people? You're jumping off a cliff and jumping into these wooded areas and stuff like that. You're going to remember this and you're going to pay for this later because your knees aren't going to work. And your shoulder is going to be out of joint. When you did this, when you played this, when you did this questionable thing, you're going to pay for this later. And those of you who are 40 and older are paying for it. That's why we get up and we have to warm up to get out of bed. Pop. What the heck is going on? Football injury, soccer injury, cooking injury, whatever it might be. We're paying for it now. Now, we have to remember because here's the reality. It begins to change our thinking. Because now we have a sober view of ourselves. And what God's telling us is to have a sober view of God. Because where there's ailments and we begin to remember where they came from, there's the injury. And injuries affect other areas. I have knees right now. That are hurting, but it doesn't stop at the knee. If I over-adjust with my knees, what do I do? Well, then it affects my hip. And then if it affects my hip, where's the next thing? Then it affects my back. Then I'm sucking down 12 Advil. (laughs) Because it begins to affect everything, right? And as those injuries begin to affect everything, we if we just put it off, do we get better? No! I've had somebody say to me over and over and over again, you really should get, should get that knee checked out. Uh, I'm telling you, if you're on bone on bone, it's not going to get any better. Uh, fine. Stay in pain. Uh, so where am I? I'm still in pain. What do I need? I need a doctor. 
but I don't want to go to the doctor. Why? Because doctors are mean and they impart pain. I mean, think about this. When it hurts, when we have an injury, what do we do? We protect it. I got a boo-boo. See my boo-boo? Don't touch it. Don't touch the boo-boo. See it though, it hurts. Right? We're all used to that. We all understand that. And we're protective. We don't want other people to touch it. But what does the doctor do? You show them your boo-boo. And what's the first thing they do? They touch it. And it hurts. Let me tell you a fun example of mine. I'm in college, driving a car, and we had, at Covenant College, a gravel road. Now, how smart is that to put it at college? Questionable at best. But we had a gravel road that went down a hill down to the back of our dorms. So everybody thought it was really cool to kind of go around that corner a little bit faster than you really should have because you got a good, a good duck tail out the back. And you could scream around the corner kind of a thing and then recorrect it as you're going down and stuff like that. Well, that sounds really great until there's another vehicle coming the other way. So here I am. Coming around the corner. There's another vehicle. Uh-oh. What am I going to do? I know what. I'm going to overcorrect. So I spin the wheel. Overcorrect. Now I'm sliding on the gravel sideways down the hill. It doesn't matter. I'm going to stop because there's a telephone pole. So as I run into the telephone pole with the side of the car, my window just happened to be a quarter of the way up. My hands are on the wheel. So what happens with my arm, the the, um, telephone pole, okay, and the window? It shatters into my arm. So I am bleeding. Nicely, I might add. So I have to get out of the car, I go walk down, I go into the dorm, and all the guys are going, oh man, here, put this nasty old towel on it, that'll stop the bleeding. So I listened to him, and I wrapped my, my arm in this nasty old towel and stuff like that, I said, what do we have to do? We have to go to the nurse. Okay, now college nurses are just like school nurses, These, they're nice mom people, Right? And so I'm unwrapping my arm before her, and she can see the glass and the blood, and there's dirt and all that kind of stuff. And she's like, ew. And she's real gentle with me and stuff, and she's like pulling at my arm, and she's like, there's a lot of glass in your arm. You're going to have to go to the hospital. Okay. Thanks, mom, nurse. I appreciate that. So I get down to the hospital. The doctor looks at it, and he goes, yep, we're going to have to sew that up. But you know what? Before you get to get any kind of pain medicine, we're going to have to clean this up. And you're going with nurse from you know where. She didn't even tell me. She put my hand underneath the hot water and started to get gauze and soap and stuff like that and began to scrub my arm to get the glass and the dirt out. That hurts. Oh, I know. No, you don't. I'm the one who's being hurt. You're the one doing the hurting. I know, honey. Why do they do that? And I know they're, I know they're evil, but there's also another reason. God created them. There has to be the pain. There's more pain that comes. There's the reality of knowing the extent of the injury. There's the proper method of treatment. There's time of healing. And you know what? That's good pain. And Joe Novenson gave this, it hurts like heaven. 
When God comes in and gives us pain, it hurts like heaven. Because he's trying to create within us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, which means that I just shouldn't be looking for a way to get healthy or just have my financial plan in place. I need to say, how am I looking like Jesus spiritually? How is he hurting me like heaven? And when we begin to grasp and understand that God gives these things to us or he takes stuff away from us that become gods. You don't think video games aren't becoming gods to children? You don't think you're checking out of things because you're at home doesn't become a god to you? You don't think this doesn't become comfortable, you, your new normal? It does for all of us. And sometimes God has to reach in and he has to pull things away or he has to cut things out. And he says, I want you to look like my son. And when we grasp that, understand that, then we recognize that it's God's blessings. It's he who comes and gives us a blessing. And it's anticipated. Look at verses 18 and 19. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider, it's a seed yet in the barn. Indeed, the wine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But then he says, but from this day on, I will bless you. He said, didn't you get it? Didn't you understand that I was pulling all those things away? You weren't blessed because you weren't putting the first thing first. I have to be first. I am God. And he is to be glorified and enjoyed forever. He has to become first. And when that happens, obedience, listen, is anticipated. We're going to obey him because of his great mercy and love. John um, 14, 21 through 23 says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And this is how he responds. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. Again, we don't, we don't obey to earn salvation. We obey because of our salvation. And when we get that right, then we understand that we can be satisfied. And again, it's a question I have to ask myself. Am I more satisfied in the things that God gives to me or am I more satisfied in God? Piper said this, he says, if you get to heaven and you don't get to see grandma and grandpa and you don't get to see cousins and you don't get to see your children up in heaven, all you get to see is Jesus. Is that enough? Is that enough? See, to me, that's serious. That's when theology hits the road. Is Jesus everything to me? Do I trust him with everything, even in the midst of this coronavirus? Is he, does he still get it all? 
And if he does, then we will be completely satisfied in him. So how do we apply this? First thing is live your Christian walk simply. We're a nation of binging and purging. Don't believe me? How many of you have been watched, binge watched some program on Netflix? You've watched 22,000 hours of a season, multiple seasons or a movie or show or whatever so that you can fit it all in and then you kind of go, I'll never watch a TV again till the next night. See, we binge and purge. We do that even in, in our walk with Christ a lot of times. Fat Tuesday. Who came up with that idea? Go out and live in debauchery and then come Wednesday morning, get some ashes on your forehead and give up some things, you know, over the lit time period. And then when Jesus comes back, hey, it's all forgiven. It's all good. It's not. Keep it slow and steady. Keep your relationship with Jesus in such a way that you are in the word. You're praying daily. If it's hard for you, get someone to hold you accountable. And don't come, don't wait and read the whole book or say, okay, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to read the whole Bible this week. No. Start with reading the chapter. Slow, steady. Grow in Christ. Second thing is have integrity. What do I mean by that? Call your sin, sin. Because, again, it's easy for us, and especially in us, in churches where we believe in, in God's grace and mercy. And we love it, and it's true. And so it's easy to say, I'm a sinner. No, I cared more about my money than I did about God this past week. And I had to get on my knees and say, God, forgive me. Because I trusted something other than you. Have integrity in regards to your sin and let it come from the heart. From your heart. Not going through the motions. And then the third place of application is be available. Be available to be used by God. And it might be that he calls you around the world, but it might be as simple as he calls you across the street. Are you willing to be used by God to bring about his kingdom, his glory, his honor? Are you willing to step up? Are you willing to say that God is worth more than all these things? And if my neighbor needs this, if my neighbor wants this, he can have it. If you're calling me to live by faith with no money as a missionary, you think things are hard for us? You think you're not just pulling back money from from the church or from your own things to try to protect yourself and stuff like that? Think about the people who live off the goodness of people like that. They're begging people, please don't stop giving. What if God called you to that? You had to trust him every month just for your food to pay your bills. Would you still go? 
See, it's not the government. It's not the church. It's God and God alone who says these words, I will bless you. Do we believe it? And if we believe it, then are we willing to live it out? That's the call. That's the response that the Lord awaits on us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me. Forgive me for the times that I try to fix things on my own when I try to live within my own power. And Lord, I recognize you still call me to work. You still call me to fulfill the duties that you've given to me. But that's not where my hope is or my satisfaction. It can only be found in you alone. And so, Father, may we hear like the people of Haggai's time that we would be warned, that we would remember, but Lord, more than anything, that we would be encouraged knowing that it is you who gives to us and you are the one who blesses us and you're a good and loving Father. And so it's to you that we trust and find all our satisfaction. So, Father, please allow us, truly, as we see this coming week, to be satisfied in you alone and to be available to the call that you've given to us. No matter where you send us, no matter what the cost, Father, we trust you. So, Father, now receive all of us who bow our knees and give you contrite hearts for there there we meet the living God and so father we thank you for your grace and mercy and they are truly new every morning may we apply it and live it to give you all glory and honor that you rightfully do we pray all of this in the powerful name of your son and in the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said Amen.